Hey, do you want to hit record? There we go. I refuse to fucking ever pay attention to the Oscars or Grammys because I just become like the most insufferable fucking asshole on the planet. <laughs> what do you mean this obscure thing I like didn't win? <laughs> <laughs> like the Kanye West for weird art house shit. go start the, this let's do this it shit. Do a thing. we're gonna do a thing yep. all right so give me a countdown three two one be considerate to others or i will bite your torso and give you a disease did you bring your baby baby don't watch us take the seat outside leave it on the streets <laughs> this is a very confident choice. I've never rain down your throat with hard acid and dissolve your <laughs> testicles. Didn't turn your guts into snakes. This is a copyrighted podcast for the right can't read. If I find you sold it on eBay, I will break into your house and tear your wife in. <laughs> so this is uh, the right can't read, and uh, you know it, it's it's awards season. So I thought I would uh, what aid you with uh, the Mastodon song Cut You Up with a Linoleum Light Knife that debuted in front of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I have no words for what just happened. <laughs> well, I am joined here by uh, Robert and Rachel. Hello. How are you two? Hello. Doing, doing fine. Functional. At best. <laughs> yeah, n- neither of you are... Uh, Really feeling like uh, as amped as I am, having just listened to that song about 10 times in a row before we joined the Zoom call. (laughs) The only thing I'm pumped about about award season is the idea that Brendan Fraser could finally win the Oscar. He has so well deserved since The Mummy came out. Yeah, Just watch The Mummy. It's It's so fucking good. I don't know what else came out in 2003. Nothing as good as The Mummy. No. Always a classic. Yeah, if I re- it swept the Oscars. Did it? No. no. Oh, it should have though. <laughs> no. So uh, yeah, it is uh, you know award season, and I'm sorry, uh, it was 1999. It, it's all a blur, and um, you know I was thinking we we've talked a fair amount about uh, you know pop culture on this podcast and we've talked about things that are nationalistic just by virtue of existing, like the Punisher. And uh, a lot of other things. And I thought about um, a certain movie that came out last year in uh, the U.S. and dominated the box office for about seven months. Uh, And that's like Top Gun Maverick. I would like to preface this by saying that I (laughs) have repeatedly tried to refuse to talk about Top Gun Maverick with anyone. And now Aaron is making me do it for two (laughs) hours. Well, no. And I thought about how uh, I hated the first movie. And then I thought, well, you know, there are some movies that are propaganda, but they're fun. And I want to talk about five movies in today's episode, maybe six. But we're not going to be talking mostly about American movies because that's just too easy. I mean, all you have to do is just watch any Michael Bay movie. 
uh, or Independence yes. Day. That's too easy. No, uh, we're going to be talking uh, first about four movies that came out of the Hong Kong cinema action you know, genre starring Donnie Yen, who uh, you <laughs> may know as uh, the blind guy from Rogue One. Yep. He's also briefly <laughs> in Blade 2. <laughs> if you don't know Rogue One, you probably don't know Blade 2. No, no. <laughs> yeah, You're correct. Yeah, that is uh, probably true. So we're going to be talking about Ip Man. Uh, the, the, Great fucking movie. Yes. Specifically, we're going to be talking about Ip Man 1 through 4. Uh, we will not be talking about Master Z, the legend of whatever it is, uh, because that movie is, is good, but it's not as like propagandistic as uh as ipman one through four so ipman is uh this guy who was very uh good at a martial arts called wing chung and wing chung he, he was uh, a, a the main instructor for bruce lee and uh you know kind of did a lot to introduce chinese martial arts to the world so uh they made a, a series of movies about these about this guy um and they all are very very dense movies there is a lot going on in every movie it's like high melodrama in every movie like at, at, at least one point at 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 least one point in every movie uh ipman's wife has a series of scenes where she looks very melancholy because ipman is fighting again and she wants him to spend more time with his family <laughs> and then that that kind of swings wildly in tone to like very bombastic villains. And we're going to be talking about all this. Um, so before we get started, I want to ask, like, are you too into like Kung Fu movies, like any action sort of stuff like that? Not, not into it. I'll enjoy it, mm. but I don't seek it out. <laughs> <laughs> Is anyone surprised? No, no, no. <laughs> well, that's why this is my palate cleanser episode. Uh, you forced us to listen to you talk about Snowflake Mountain. <laughs> you forced us to listen to you talk about Shrek. So now I'm going to just, you are now chained to your chairs in my basement, metaphorically. And I'm going to talk at you about action movies for the next two hours. <laughs> so the first movie in this series <laughs> is Ipmon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first one. And it is basically Ipman versus the Japanese. It is set in classic, uh, classic story. It's it's <laughs> told through the ages. Blank versus the Japanese is really the one story <laughs> of mainland yeah. Asia. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So he is a Wing Chun master who lives in Foshan. Uh he and his family do very well for themselves. They've got this very large house out on the outskirts of town, you know, set in this mountains, it's, you know, very idyllic. Uh, everyone likes this guy. Donnie Yen, if you've never seen him, he's pretty charismatic. Uh, he's an action guy who uh, lived in the U.S. for a long time and then moved back to China and started uh, acting in martial arts and doing a lot of MMA type stuff. And then he got cast into this role. He's just a very, you know, charismatic dude. It looks very nice. And he's got a good, he's got a good face for the camera. The camera likes this guy. Okay. <laughs> so he and his family live in Foshan. And the, the first chunk of the movie is basically uh, the, the, the 
kung fu community in their city is just kind of like happy and they're all testing each other a group of thugs comes into town from somewhere else it's never really specified but they have like the general vibe of of mountain men about them and they have like this very brusque and like brutal form of martial arts versus everyone else is like more it's almost like ballet like yeah fluid yeah fluid uh, and uh, their leader challenges Ipman to a fight. Ipman wins, and uh, things kind of go back to normal in the community. And then the Japanese invade. So Ipman and his family, they lose everything, and they're borderline homeless. They're living in a small, like, couple of rooms in this dilapidated building. And uh, they're basically living off of, as he and his wife at this point, they're basically just kind of eking out this living. So Ipman... He uh, he goes to find, you know, just this this job, laboring job. So he goes to a coal yard, and the coal yard is owned by a guy who is a big fan of martial arts, and he keeps hiring <laughs> former martial artists to give them some like living and money while everyone else is destitute and dying. So Ipman he has a job, he's making a living. He finds one of his former students working at the co- at the coal yard, and then okay. The Japanese um, army rolls up one. Wait, who rolls up? The Japanese army. Okay. So there are a couple of, of vehicles that roll up. There's a a, a a guy from Foshan who's acting as their interpreter. He's he's kind of the the trader sellout guy, and he gets out of the out of the the vehicles with the Japanese colonel, and he says basically to everyone in the yard, he's like, "Look, the Japanese general, he really." is interested in testing out karate versus kung fu. And so he's inviting all of you martial artists to come and fight. And if you if you take part in this, you get rice. Seems like a trap. Oh, oh, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> so Ipman, at this point, he doesn't want to fight. He just wants to live. You know, he just wants to have as much of a living as he can. So he does not take part, but his student does. And so we cut to the uh, the gymnasium that the Japanese army has set up. And whereas in Foshan, everything is just kind of like a natural light setting. Like everything is basically, there's no filters or anything inside this, this uh, inside this gymnasium, all of the color, it's desaturated. It looks like a Zack Snyder superhero movie. Uh, It's bleak. And there's just always a ring of very quiet, uh, stoic Japanese soldiers in in a, I think it's gi is like the little training uniform, uh, just sitting around. No, not ring, the butter. Right? <laughs> not no, not the butter. Yeah, I mean they could be coating themselves with butter. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into that later. So <laughs> they are, you know, the, the martial artists. They they go up and they fight against uh, the Japanese soldiers and they get bags of rice. Well, Ipman's student gets into one of these fights and. He goes up against a, a, a couple of guys and is getting the shit beat out of him, but he keeps getting up to fight because he doesn't want to show he doesn't want to give up. He doesn't want to bow down in front of the Japanese, right? So he keeps getting up to fight. And this pisses off the colonel of the Japanese. While the general seems to be okay with this, the colonel does not like it. So the Japanese general eventually says yeah this guy <clears throat> give him a couple of bags of rice he's earned it well the japanese colonel shoots the guy dead no. on the thing and the general 
almost kills his colonel because he has betrayed the sanctity of the ring. And he says, this is a place for tournaments, not bloodshed. No guns. If you do that again, I'll kill you. <laughs> so the colonel goes, yeah, yeah, whatever. So the Ipman student, dead, doesn't show up again. Ipman keeps looking for him in the coal yard. Can't find him. <laughs> Eventually, Sorry, you said dad doesn't show up. I would hope he doesn't show up yeah, again. Yeah, it's a, a zombie problem. movie now. <laughs> okay. So, uh, after his student is executed, word goes around. Ipmon decides that he has to fight back. Uh, his his wife doesn't want this, but he knows that he has to. He has to show <laughs> that Chinese have dignity. So, a series of fights happen, and then eventually, the general, uh, after one of these fights, as Ipmon goes up against ten. Japanese soldiers and beats the shit out of them. And the Japanese general goes, oh, I'm going to fight this guy in the center of town where the Chinese had their their martial arts schools on martial arts street. I'm going to beat him and I'm going to show them the superiority of the Japanese. (laughs) (laughs) So they fight. Uh, Ipman beats the general nearly to death within like 30 seconds and the colonel, the aide-de-camp, shoots him in the chest, which sparks a riot from all the Chinese who overrun the barricades, start fighting the Japanese. And Ipman and his wife, they flee Foshan, and they, they make their way to Hong Kong, which is the end of the movie. But and before the credits roll, we are treated to like kind of the, the epilogue. And in this epilogue, we are told that uh, you know the Japanese started World War II in whenever they invaded china and then uh the chinese fought back and then the war ended in 1945 that is what happened in world war so nicely buttoned up. we are left to conclude because this is a historical document that the chinese defeated the japanese in 1940 yes okay so that's at mon one okay but the other person that was defeated around that same time was the political party that the actual Ipman fought for please Explain. Oh, Ipman was a Shanghai Shek nationalist. I'm shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really hated communism, did it? The actual Ipman. Yeah, that doesn't come into play in any of these movies. Unfortunately. No, no. Um, Now, Ipman 2, okay, is Ipman versus the British. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) Now a real villain. (laughs) And this is when we really start to see, like, my favorite running thing in uh, a lot of Chinese and a lot of, like, Indian uh, cinema is they find white actors who cannot act and have the most wooden delivery that you have ever heard in your life. Like, if you remember back in high school and going to high school plays and a bunch of very (laughs) nervous kids on stage delivering lines just not up for it it's worse than that but these people aspiring actors their start maybe (laughs) maybe (laughs) Uh, yeah i guess you know if you're an english guy and you're not making it in can't make it in london can't make it in la on tim's yeah then yeah you just yeah go go to go to mumbai and try to get a get a gig as being the evil white man there so this is where Ipmon 2 really starts, like the Ipmon series really starts bringing this up. Um, Ipmon and his wife have established themselves in Hong Kong. And at this point, Ipmon is trying to gain recognition from resident Kung Fu masters. Like Hong Kong has their own Kung Fu schools, much the same that Foshan did. 
And he's trying to open up his own school and start making a living teaching so he doesn't have, presumably have to work in a coal yard and trying to attract students. <laughs> this takes up a good chunk of the first part of the movie of him trying to prove himself and uh, the merits of Wing Chun to the Kung Fu masters in Hong Kong. In the course of all of this, uh, his wife says that she is pregnant and once again uh, says that he should stop fighting. So Ip Man, uh, around this time, you know, he succeeds, he gets the, uh, he gets uh, the recognition from Kung Fu masters in Hong Kong, and he's got his school started up. <clears throat> and this attracts the attention of the English, who are, uh, surprise, surprise, the most cartoonish racism that you will find until Ip Man 4, which really stands out on the, the, my God, <laughs> levels of spectrum we'll get there i mean in their defense the british were actually that bad yeah uh, they were but uh it's i, like, I think british it's cartoonism is the one that i will allow you know? like... <laughs> well i i think it's it what what makes it stand out is uh the poor acting from <laughs> everyone it really it, it ceases to become like a conversation that you you in which you're overhearing racism and it becomes like you're seeing sky lettering that's just <laughs> slurs go up all around wherever you live. That's what it feels like. So the English, uh, they they decide that they are going to show these slurs uh, what is the true way of combat. And that is just bare knuckle boxing. <laughs> and so after a bunch of people get beaten up by a particularly vicious and racist boxer um ipman he knows that he has to fight but he doesn't want to fight because he knows that that's not what his wife wants. well eventually his wife comes for the baby <laughs> and his wife says yes you have to fight so ipman challenges he accepts the challenge of the boxer and it's a it's a it's a you know, it's a boxing match it's it's all right it's a good fight i guess uh he wins Truly hilarious idea that anyone who boxes would be a martial artist. Yeah, it's <laughs> not a thing. Well, it like he starts winning fairly early, and so the referee's like, "Oh no, you can't use your feet anymore. You have to just use your hands. That's you have fair. to box." That's fair. It is very strange to have someone doing like kung fu versus a boxer. Yeah, and uh, it does not go well for the boxer. Ipman at this point at the in in the, in the the fight he looks a little bit like Rocky at the end of Rocky, uh, except he's much more uh, eloquent <laughs> than Stallone. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the bell rings. Uh, it, it keeps cutting out to like his his friends out in uh, the the Hong Kong streets and they're cheering because their their guy just won. It's listened on the radio, and uh, a, a, a newspaperman brings a microphone up to up to Ipman and he says what do you have to say and Ipman delivers the spiel about unity and acceptance and how martial arts shows that we are all united and we can all be use our strengths to help each other out and then you start seeing like a slow clap moment as people <laughs> in the crowd rise to their feet and applauding except for one english guy who goes no and he shakes his head throws his new newspaper down and just kind of like stomps out <laughs> so after this uh mm. after this scene Ipman goes back home and he finds that 
his wife has given birth to a son. We didn't need to see any details about this. It's just he was at the fight and he's got a kid. So they named the kid Ching. And uh, that's kind of the end of the movie. Again, we get a title sequence about the rest of his life, about Bruce Lee and <laughs> Wing Chung. <clears throat> and it's, you know, it's not bad. It's the weakest of the four movies. Uh, it, it, I, I said that the, the Brits are, you know, cartoonishly racist, but they're not dastardly enough. <laughs> <laughs> like at the end of the day, most of them stand and applaud for Ipman and his, his spiel. Uh, so it it kind of deflates the cartoonish racism that you that you really want out of these movies. You want to see the white devils, and things in the whole movie are just kind of meh. But Ipmon Three, which in my mind is subtitled Ipmon versus Corrupt Cops and Land Developers. Nice. At this point in time, <clears throat> oh yeah, at the end of Ipmon Two, uh, I should also mention in kind of like a Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe uh, post credits scene. Ipmon is sitting in his uh, his office. He's smoking a cigarette. This has like the highest amount of cigarette smoking in a movie I think I've seen <laughs> filmed after 1950. Uh, so he's sitting down and a little kid walks in and he goes, you're going to teach me. And he starts like mimicking Bruce Lee's movement. So it's like, this is Bruce Lee. Nice. Yeah. And uh, Ipmon says, oh, come back when you're older. And then movie ends. So Ipmon 3. Ipmon versus uh, corrupt cop- cops and land developers uh, also features. Take a guess. Take a guess who's in this. I, I actually do not remember anything about Ipmon Thirty. Mike Tyson. What is in this movie? <laughs> he is the corrupt land developer who has the corrupt cops in his pocket. Wait. So in a fighting nice. action movie, they were like Mike Tyson. If you could sit behind this desk. Now he fights, kind of. There is a scene where he and Ipmon fight, but again, it's boxing. Uh, okay. But yeah, he does. He doesn't do much. He just kind of hangs out in a warehouse for the entire movie <laughs> until the fight. So at this point in in our chronology, Ipmon and his family have reestablished themselves in Hong Kong. Ipmon's kung fu school is uh, off the ground, very successful. He's got a bunch of loyal students. Uh, as I was talking about in my in our MMA episode, uh, this is where I learned that martial arts students are very dedicated to their instructors to the point <laughs> where they will beat up other martial arts students if they impugn the integrity of their of their uh, <laughs> teacher. Sifu, I think, is the sensei. The well, sensei is Japanese. I think it's Sifu in in uh, Cantonese and Mandarin. So. I take it back, though. I think Mike Tyson could beat up a, mar- a really good martial artist because he's well, just a crazy person. Exactly. That's that's kind of the thing. Is yeah. uh, going to have crazy on your side, yeah. I think there's like a Bruce Lee quote of uh, someone asked him, "What would you do if someone brought a like pointed a gun at you and mugged you?" Bruce Lee was like, "Well, I'd give him my wallet." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <Nice>. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Mike Tyson is always the guy who brings the gun. Mike Tyson would kill the man who pulled the gun. Like, <laughs> the single greatest interview of all time is Mike Tyson's like talking shit before a fight, and he starts screaming at the other fighter, "I'll eat your fucking kids!" Yeah. <laughs> wow. And it's the yeah. most bizarre thing I've ever seen. It's yeah. incredible. He it's... gave the best interviews of all time. <laughs> There's a. I think was it. ESPN used to do this series of things about athletes, and I think it was 30 for 30. 
Yeah. And they did one about Mike Tyson, and it was like later. I think it was around the time The Hangover came out, mm. and so it was when he was just like raising pigeons <laughs> in his backyard and was just talking about how much he loved pigeons. Yep. Yeah. So this is that era. I think Ip on Three came out in 2015, maybe somewhere around there. So long after he threatened to eat some dude's kids and then bought a guy, long bit a guy's ear off. Yeah. Wait, when did The Hangover come out? 2008 maybe hold on oh wow jesus Christ! hangover movie that came out 2009 and it was still popular when i was in high school yeah no no, it was people it was hugely popular yeah and they made like three of them right too yeah they didn't get better on the first one it's not that good (laughs) no i saw the second one and it did not I didn't like the first one that much in the second Yeah, one. I barely liked the first one. Yeah. The only good part of the first <laughs> one is, I don't know his real name, but Ben Chang from Community, who's always the best oh, yeah. part of everything. Yeah. Uh, so in Ip Man 3, Ip Man's kid, Ip Ching, gets into a fight at school with another kid who is the son of another Wing Chun master named Chung Tin Chi. Drama. And, uh, yeah, very much drama. But the kids, you know, they're kids, so they get into a fight, and then uh, they're at the school nurse's office. Ipmon's wife is there, and she's healing up scrapes uh, and, and bruises. Ipmon finally shows up. They bring the kid to their 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 house to feed him dinner while they're waiting for his his dad to show up because his dad, you know, he's a he's a he's a Wing Chun master, but he doesn't have the same recognition that Ipmon does. Mm-hmm. So he has to work for a living. He put he pulls a rickshaw. And he's got a big chip on his shoulder because he knows that he's as good as Ipmon, if not better. And this is a recurring theme through the movie. Whenever they uh, they they are in the same room, uh, Ipmon will be like, "Oh, hey, how you doing? It's really good to see you. I'm so hey, how how's how's your son?" And the the other guy will be like, "We have to fight now. I must see your kung fu." <laughs> <laughs> Ipmon never does because he doesn't want to fight. So uh, anyway, the guy shows up, takes his son home, and uh, after he you know takes care of his son, puts him puts him to sleep for that night, he goes to an underground fighting ter- tournament in a warehouse. Okay, uh, that is run by a lackey of Mike Tyson, who is the corrupt land developer. Now the lackey, whose name I cannot remember and did not remember to write down has good style and whenever he's on stri- on screen it's like that l- a little 50s music rock sting so it's kind of fun <laughs> uh so he the the chung tin chi is uh making money on the side by getting into these tournaments and fighting for money so uh in the midst of all this after the after that fight wraps up mike tyson goes to his lackey and says i need that school uh, <laughs> that's Actors. that's yeah, which is the school that both kids go to. And I don't know why he needs the the land, but he's a corrupt land developer. <laughs> so the lackey and his lackeys go to the school and try to attack the principal one day in order to, in order to uh, you know, coerce him into get signing over the property. But they're not counting on one guy, Ipmon, who shows up and beats the shit out of all the lackeys who then scatter off. And the principal's like, oh, I'm so glad that you're here because they were trying to beat me up and force me to sign over the property to them. So Ipmon stations all of his students around the school because the Hong Kong police department, uh, who's, I guess, captain, I think, 
<laughs> only referred to as Fatso in this movie. <laughs> and he's played by a guy who's been in Hong Kong martial arts movies for since the 80s, since like Jackie Chan was still in Hong Kong cinema. And every like if you look up his IMDB profile, all of his characters' names are like variations on Fatso. He's a large man. And <laughs> yeah. Comes across as an affable dude. You know, he's trying to do his best. He's trying to make like make sure that people are safe in the community, but mm-hmm. his his boss, the English guy, doesn't want to give resources to protect a school. <laughs> yeah, why would do, you? Do you know why? Because no, he's in cahoots with Mike Tyson. There it is. Mm, yeah. Real estate developer Mike Tyson. <laughs> Real estate developer Mike Tyson, <laughs> who hangs out in a warehouse near the Western Union docks. So, if Mod Station's his uh, students... important fact about Fat Poe, that's a Fat yeah. Poe is his name. <laughs> Fat Poe. <laughs> no, I've, all of the Fat subtitles Bo. called him Fat. So. Oh, he's not. That's that what Google says. He's not that fat. No. He's like kind of heavy set. He's but a heavy he's not set dude. Particularly fat. No. The bar for fat, I guess, in like nineties Hong Kong. Fifties Hong Kong was a lot. Yeah. Lower. Yeah, and he is the only man with visible heft to him in the movie. Everyone else is pretty like lithe. <laughs> so Ipmon students they watch over the property. Many fights ensue over the course of several days. Ipmon's wife is pissed because he's never showing up at at, uh, at the house to eat dinner. And she starts getting sick. And she doesn't know what's going on because not even traditional Chinese medicine can help her. Not even? Not even. Because you know what she has? Cancer. I don't know, Aaron. I've heard in Portland that you can cure it with enough essential oil. <laughs> with enough frankincense, you can cure it. If only they had had essential oils in Hong Kong. If only they had a upper middle class white woman with a 200 hour yoga certificate to cure his wife. Yeah. But alas, they didn't. So she has, she has she the dies big horribly. Yeah. Uh, and she is trying to, uh, you know, continue to, to forge the bonds and find a right time to tell Ipman about her diagnosis, but it never comes because he's never home. Well, eventually, uh, she breaks through to him and says, "You have to, you have to come home. You, you cannot be there every night. It's not going to go well." <clears throat> so eventually, uh, what really hits at home, what really makes it clear that he can't be there because he's putting people in jeopardy, his his family in jeopardy, is the lackeys show up to school, and they just straight up steal a bunch of kids and tell the tell the principal that if he doesn't uh, sign over the property. They're going to sell the kids into slavery. I just keep getting hung up on the fact, like, is the principal the one able to sign this document? Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, I, who knows? Like, it might. I don't know how the the school's set up there. Like, it might be a quasi private institution thing. I don't know if that's like the norm. Like, I, I a long time ago, I tried to get a job at a uh, Japanese uh, ESL school. Cool. And it was a thing where, like, the principal was kind of the owner of the school. So I don't know okay. if it's something, something like that. similar. Yeah. But yeah, he's the only one who can sign it. So the lackeys steal a bunch of kids and say they're going to sl- sell them into slavery. But they make two critical mistakes. First, they steal Chung, uh, Chung's kid. Mm. Second, they steal Ip Man's kid. Huge mistakes. Huge mistakes. 
So Ipmon goes to the uh, the docks or where the lackey and all of his minions are and massive fights. Skip over the details, but the, the kids are freed. Ipmon, even though Chung is there fighting alongside of him, Ipmon gets all of the credit and all of the glory. And Chung's like, that guy, that, that guy's a son of a bitch. And kind of storms <laughs> off with a cloud over his over his uh head. So he, you know, Ipmon frees his kid and brings him back. And Ipmon begs for his wife's forgiveness because he knows that uh really it's his fault for some reason that the, all this happened. And the, so <clears throat> um he has at the moment, for the moment, stymied Mike Tyson's plans. But if you now, now I want you to think back to, to Shark's statement about Mike Tyson's interviews. Do you think Mike Tyson <laughs> is gonna is gonna take this lying down? Of course not. No. He's no. Mike Tyson. Yeah. So Mike Tyson uh goes into the warehouse where his main lackey is, I think, fighting some guy who must be like a Muay Thai fighter. I don't know any he looks like someone he the, the attention they give him in the movie makes me think that he is a a star of some sort. Uh so his main lackey is training with this guy. He goes, Oh boss, you gotta you gotta see this dude. And Mike Tyson goes, You fucked up and beats the shit out of his lackey and tells him to get out of his sight or he'll kill him. And then despite never talking to uh the, the Thai guy uh before, he says, Go kill Ipmon. So nice. <laughs> the Thai guy goes, and Ipmon and his wife are at a doctor's office where they're talking about the diagnosis of the big C. And it's bad. They're both very sad. They're 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 their lives are over, basically. Yep. So they're they're going down the hallway. They call the elevator. Elevator doors open, but the white Thai guy is inside. So they oh. get into the elevator. Oh, shit. The atmosphere is tense. <laughs> the camera cuts down to the guy's feet and he takes off his sandals. Oh, no. Ipmon sees this and he, he hands his, I think, box of medicine or whatever to his wife. Doors oh, open. This. He puts <laughs> he pushes his wife out and the two start fighting on like the, the floor as the elevator is going down. They're also get descending floors fighting the entire time. Ipmon comes out uh, out on top. The uh, the Muay Thai fighter staggers off into the daylight, and Ip my Ipmon and his wife go home. Somehow, Ipmon figures out that it's Mike Tyson who's behind all of this. So Ipmon shows up to the warehouse, and I should also mention that every time like Mike Tyson's character is on screen, he's also got like a wife and daughter. And the daughter's always just kind of going around on a big wheel with a with a red balloon. Necessary, okay. Yeah, showing that he's human, I guess. I don't know. So he goes, if Mike Tyson challenges him to a fight for three minutes, and if he wins, he'll leave him. He'll, he'll leave Ipmon alone. So they fight. Uh, there's a cool scene where, or a cool sequence where Mike Tyson is like, you know, jabbing, and he's just breaking every pane of, a, of glass in a window <laughs> as they're fighting. It's really fun. And eventually, uh, you know, the, the the round ends. Mike Tyson goes, all right, you can leave. I'll leave you alone. And then, like, he says that he'll buy his daughter a new book. That's the last we see about Mike Tyson. But the movie's not over. Because we still have to resolve the fact that Chung is upset that Ipmon is getting all of the glory. So Chung opens up a rival school and starts shit-talking Ipmon and saying that his kung fu 
is worse than Chung's Kung Fu. And the fact that Ip Man hasn't defended himself means that it's true. Mm -hmm. But the reason Ip Man hasn't defended himself is because he's trying to make his wife happy. But his wife knows that he must defend his, his reputation. He must defend his Kung Fu. So she arranges a fight between Chung and, and Ip Man. And uh, they fight. Ip Man wins. Uh, then his wife dies. And that's basically the end of Ip Man 3. Wow. Except for another Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, post credit scene where, again, Ip Man's hanging out smoking a cigarette and a dude comes in. And he goes, you remember me? Bruce. <laughs> yeah, it's Bruce Lee. There's a cool little thing about, oh, how fast are you? And they're doing like a little thing. It's fun. All right. So that's that's Ip Man 3. You following me so far? Yeah. What do, yeah. What do you think about this? This sounds exciting. Yeah, it's very fun. It's like <laughs> legitimately like it's some of the like the best like martial arts fighting out there. Like I think for a while it was um like I think for a while like Jackie Chan was trying to sabotage Donnie Yen's career <laughs> because he was like threatened by Donnie Yen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There can be only one Hong Kong cinema guy who breaks out <laughs> the West. So that's Ip Man three. We now come to the to Ip Man four. Ipman, the finale. Other subtitle, Ipman in America. Mm, I was trying to think of like what other themes could they possibly do? <laughs> uh-huh. The fact they haven't talked about Shanghai Shack at all is absurd. But no, they're not going to. That's yeah, <laughs> that's gonna, absurd. I'm very upset about it. If you did that, you would have to acknowledge that the star of your franchise apparently did not like <laughs> the CCP at all. And there's a reason he stayed in Hong Kong, which was that Hong Kong was not in the Chinese Communist Party's jurisdiction. But you can't talk about that. So, <clears throat> Ipmon 4, Ipmon in America. We start off by finding out that Ipmon has cancer. Oh, because shit. of all of the cigarettes. He's smoked nothing. He's just smoking like seven packs a day <laughs> and living in Hong Kong, which I'm sure at this point was very uh, polluted. It's also equivalent to yeah, smoking <laughs> yeah, seven yeah. packs a not, day. Not quite as bad as Beijing, but yeah. Um, it's fucking insane to me that people from that generation made it past like 46. <laughs> yeah. You're fucking chain yeah. smoking on airplanes while cutting Lead lines everywhere. of asbestos on a mirror to snort. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is going yeah. on with these people? Yeah. Oh, look at these paint chips that fell out of the wall. Yeah, oh. I guess I'll fucking <laughs> yeah. eat them. Yeah. Somebody quick put lead in the gasoline. Like, what the fuck is that? I'm just going to have a light breakfast of seven slices of bacon and 12 eggs. Yeah. <laughs> With nothing but jello. That's just sugar for dinner. Oh, yeah. Insane. Oh. Yeah. So, Ipmon 4, Ipmon's kid, uh, is, is he's graduated past being rambunctious into being a violent little shit. And we don't have a lot of characteristics, but what we get is that he loves Western comics. So, like, what? Like, teenage? Yeah, like teenager. Okay. Late teens, so like 16 or 17. And y you see that he's, every time he is not at school and not talking to Ipon, he is reading comics. <laughs> so there's, like, the subtle comment that maybe he's been polluted by Western uh, medium. So he disrespects his father, gets into fights at school. And Ipman is, is is he doesn't know what to do. Well, one of the uh one of the people at the school, a doctor who patches up his son after he gets into a fight, says, Oh, well, I was like him. And then I went to school abroad and that changed my life. Now I'm a doctor. So Ipman 
<clears throat> thinks that this might be a good idea. And as he's at his school, a, a dude shows up, a black guy with a giant afro. And he shows up to his his um, school and he starts he, he gets into a fight with some of Ipmon's students because he's loud and they don't know what he's saying. He doesn't know what he, what they're saying. And he gets into a fight with them and he wins. And it Ipmon shows up and it comes out that uh, this this guy is a student of Bruce Lee's. And he has been sent there by Bruce Lee to invite Ipmon to San Francisco to go to a karate tournament that Bruce Lee is putting on. And Ipmon realizes this might be the opportunity he needs to find a school for his son. So he goes. And we're in, we're in San Francisco. A character from one of the other movies is giving him a kind of a tour. And he introduces himself to the head of the Chinese Benevolent Association, who is sitting in this big room in Chinatown with a bunch of Kung Fu masters, none of whom are fans of Ip Man. And Ip Man is confused because all Chinese are brothers. It's right there on the entrance of the son of the Chinese Benevolent <laughs> Association. Same all thing Chinese. anyone who lived in China in the 30s and 40s would say. <laughs> well, to be clear, this is in the 60s now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not in... Well, so... <laughs> The none of the kung fu masters in San Francisco like Ip Man because Bruce Lee has translated a book about Chinese martial arts to English and is teaching Westerners Chinese martial arts, and they don't like that because oh, it's no. for the Chinese. Ip Man, it, it, it comes out that like <laughs> the 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 whole Chinese Benevolent Association has been just shit on by the same by uh, everyone in San Francisco. So they've developed okay. this like turtle <laughs> mentality where all, it, everything for Chinese must only be for Chinese. Okay. And they don't like Bruce Lee because he's on good terms with white people. Okay. Now, Ipmon right. does not buy into their sensibilities. He thinks that it's good that Bruce Lee is teaching Westerners martial arts. So they don't like each other. The head of the the of the CPA at the Chinese Benevolent Association and Ipmon have this weird fight at the table where uh, they're like pushing back and forth. This what uh, what's that thing you use to like like uh, lazy Susan? Lazy Susan. They're pushing this lazy Susan made of glass back and forth at each other until it shatters <laughs> into a bunch of places. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> Ipmon leaves without getting a letter of recommendation from the CBA to get his son into a school. Uh, and he he is now, uh, he doesn't know what he's going to do because he can't find any help. So he goes to a school to beg the principal to allow his son to go there. And as he's there, uh, a bunch of cheerleaders are instigating a fight with a Chinese girl who is also a cheerleader because they don't like her because she's Chinese. And the rival cheerleader, who is the daughter of a fucking cop, gets her like her boyfriend's little clique of jocks to just, just start trying to beat the shit out of this girl. Jesus. And so oh Ipmon shows up and beats the shit out of a bunch of teenagers. Nice. Yeah. In the classic Mr. Miyagi sense. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of Mr. Miyagi, except... <laughs> It's different because it's like he, you can hear bones shattering as nice. he's attacking the teenagers. So it's much more violent. So uh, Donnie Yen, Ip Man, 
brings the daughter back to her, her dad, the head of the CBA. They get they get into another fight because why not? And then Ipmon leaves without like pressing the matter. Now, meanwhile, <laughs> one of Bruce Lee's students is a Chinese guy who is also a Marine, and he wants to bring Kung Fu into the Marines. <laughs> but the Marines are really into karate. And we are treated here to some of the best insane Marine drill sergeant acting that you see outside of Full Metal Jacket. I'm going to give you some quotes <laughs> of dialogue from this drill sergeant because like, he puts the ra- the cartoonish racism of the English and Ipman to to utter shame because this is a guy who's actually able to act. And there's a guy named Scott Adkins, who is, I guess, a British uh, martial arts guy who's been a bunch of a, like C-list action movies. So here are some quotes. And uh, yeah, I have after after a, a black guy uh, loses a fight and taps out surrenders against the the main racist Marine martial arts guy. The Marine goes over to the guy who taps out and says, I have a reputation around here for being racist. That's wrong. I don't hate you because you're colored. I hate you because you're a cowardly color. Jesus fucking Christ. Later, he says to uh, Hartman, the, the student of, Brill, of Bruce Lee, your Chinese kung fu is only good for folding laundry. Oh, wow. Holy shit. He burns a Wing Chun wooden man, which is like this training thing. It, it looks like a tree with a bunch of spikes on it that mm-hmm. Ipmon keeps using through the series to practice moves. Uh, so he's forcing Hartman and all the other Chinese Marines to go on like 60 laps around a track. And he's just sitting there watching the thing burn with this, this extremely satisfied face on him. And then toward the end, he says, I had the unfortunate task of demonstrating how an inferior race can and should be defeated. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> I want you to just think about that. Like this movie really goes hard into this this premise that in the sixties in San Francisco, people would have put like white folks in the gold rush to shame with how much they hated the Chinese in the community, and that's the backdrop of every this. So the drill sergeant is really into karate and seeing his main dude Colin beat the shit out of anyone who's not white. Uh, so, you know, the movie keeps going on. Plot points happen. Ipman doesn't want to fight. He winds up it through a series of events of events, uh, beating the shit out of the chief racist karate man, Colin, during the autumn moon harvest festival with it in Chinatown. Uh, meanwhile, INS, because they are led by, uh, the racist cheerleaders, dad, goes into Chinatown and tries to arrest every Chinese person they can put their their eyes on. The drill sergeant shows up to uh, fight the head of the Chinese Benevolent Association because his main guy, Colin, got beat up. And he just basically kidnaps this guy, brings him to the Marine Corps base, and is then going to just put him on a boat somewhere. So he beats the shit out of the guy. Ipman shows up. And he and the drill sergeant fight. Ipmon wins. It's a very brutal fight. Again, like bones break, legs bend in ways that they should not bend. (laughs) And at the end of the movie, 
uh, after some time passes, the head of the CBA uh, offers Ipmon a letter of recommendation that will get his son into the school and says, oh, Chinatown could really benefit for having you here. And Ipmon says, no, I don't think this is a place that I should be. <laughs> and he goes back to Hong Kong. I've just killed so many oh, white people. I need to leave now. <laughs> They're going to be very upset. Now, he, he says that, you know, he belongs in Hong Kong. Uh, that is where it is the, the proper place to be. And it is notable for a couple of reasons, because this movie came out in 2019, right before the Hong Kong protests, uh, before... Uh, Shark, do you want to break down the reasons for the protests in Hong Kong in 2019 and 2020? Ooh, I don't feel like I will do that justice. Okay, so basically... Uh, it, it boiled down to uh, the Chinese Communist Party was cracking down on independent journalism in Hong Kong because Hong Kong always had a status of kind of like a self-governing autonomous region in China. And it was part of the reason the British handed it over on amicable terms was that Hong Kong would remain uh, autonomous. So they had uh, higher levels of self-expression than you got on the mainland. It was more economically separate from China and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, like, almost immediately after we went to Hong Kong, Rachel, uh, mm -hmm. a journalist was arrested by uh, the Chinese Communist Party and people started protesting. And it got really bad, like, really, really gnarly. The CCP heavily brutalized all of the protesters. Um, a lot of the, the tactics that Portland used redacted used in 2020 came out of the hong kong protests there was like an a, a lot of international solidarity between virtually everyone and hong kong unless you follow tankies on twitter where <laughs> those protesters were bad yeah uh tankies were a big fan of the ccp and remain a big fan of the ccp and uh also unless you were like i don't know blizzard the game developer who uh, shut down a bunch of, of Twitch streamers who were streaming Overwatch and came out in support of Hong Kong and Blizzard shut them down and then issued this just bootlicking apology to China for allowing these people oh to have a voice. And uh, it got, yeah, so basically China is now much more involved in day-to-day -day Hong Kong affairs than they were before. And... Uh, yeah, it, it was gnarly. And, you know, someone else who was also in favor of uh, mainland China over Hong Kong? Star of the Ip Man series, Donnie Yen. <laughs> <laughs> Came out as a huge fan of the CCP. Boosted a bunch of claims that Hong Kong processors were really CIA operatives. That's uh, a favorite. I love that one. <laughs> yeah. And uh, has, over the last couple of years, been just starring in a lot of basically propaganda pieces for the Communist Party, uh, along with Jackie Chan and basically every major oh. Chinese actor who is known internationally. Wait, is it like, what What do we mean by propaganda? Is it like Mao Zedong's Hong Kong, like his Hong Kong Kung Fu movie? Because I would watch the fuck now, out of that. <laughs> I don't know if it's that far, but like, 
I was reading an article on, I think the BBC that was talking about how in, in front of movies now, audiences watch these small spots of major celebrities like Jackie Chan or Donnie Yen talking about uh, how important the Chinese communist party is to the health of every Chinese person and how they represent all China. And Donnie Yen's, I think, pieces involved him just straight up reading from Mao's little red book. And his defense, (laughs) good book. Very good book. So there you go, Sharks of Tanky. Yeah, if you read it free of context, a very good book. (laughs) (laughs) Much like these movies, if you watch them free of context, there's nothing problematic in them. But as you said, uh, yeah, so Ipman, Chiang Kai-shek fan, uh, Donnie Yen, CCP fan, uh, the running themes in these movies are that people who are the most traditionalist Chinese, like into folk everything, are the most reasonable people in the room. People who are more modern are to, not to be trusted. Uh, the underlying thing is don't you fucking trust the white devils, which yeah, historically there's basis to. Yeah, fair. Yeah, but uh, yeah, overall there's there's uh, a lot of these these elements of. Propaganda that seeps in about uh, all China is one family and, you know, that kind of thing. So what are your thoughts there before we move on? I'm kind of surprised. Just I'm thinking about Jackie Chan. I don't know why. I just don't really like that's kind of sad. Yeah. Well, I think it's because he there's nothing in his media presence in the U.S. that hints at this. Mm hmm. And I think that is a very deliberate move on his part, much in the same way like he always he refuses roles that would make him a villain because it's bad for his brand. And it's probably a very savvy move on his part to not make any comments about the CCP to Western media. And it's the same thing with Donnie Yen. I don't think like Donnie Yen makes any comments about this, but like in 2009, I think when the first Iman was released, he renounced his American citizenship because he used to live in the U.S. for a long time, went to university in Boston. I think his mom and dad, maybe, like, I think Chinese-American, I'm not 100% on that, but a lot of actors have kind of the same through line. And, I mean, on the one hand, I kind of get it because if you are active in cinema in china like mainland china especially you have to toe that party line Mm. but uh yeah i think donnie yen stands out because he was very very opposed to all of the hong kong protests which is i i find interesting because of uh all of the settings of these movies being in hong kong which was a more international city and you said the movie came out in 2019 so 2009 Team? was the first oh, Ipman movie. Uh, I forget when the second one came out. Ipman 3 came out in 20, 2015, and Ipman 4 came out in 2019. Yeah. Right before the Hong Kong protests. They're all fairly watchable. Yeah. Like, I think the, the first one is a lot of fun. Um, I like the third one, but the, the, the fourth is just bonkers. Uh, I I recommend that one if you really want to just feel that thing where you got to crawl out of your skin because of the uncomfortable racism. <laughs> there, yeah, which you don't get in uh, in anything really. Yeah, it, it it's it it does a good job of so in during during Vietnam, uh, 
the North Vietnamese tailored a lot of radio broadcasts to black soldiers trying to get them to defect or disobey orders and all that kind of stuff on the grounds of, you know, America's a racist society. Why are you fighting? How did they target the black soldiers specifically? Do you know? Well, because... They or they just like put it out and it was like directed at. No, they targeted the black soldiers specifically because there was like a actual like it's not talked about much, but there was like a quasi black army revolution in Vietnam where black soldiers realized that America sucks shit and were like, hey, I don't want to die in Denang and I'm not gonna do so. It was common for like especially minority soldiers on the front lines to do things like whistle while they march to mm. let people know like i'm not here to fight you don't shoot me i'll not see you we're good yeah spike lee came out with a movie a couple of years ago called the five bloods that was really good and it had uh, a lot to do with this like the five main characters were black vietnam veterans and uh yeah they talk about that a lot but ipmon 4 shares a lot of those talking points and a lot of elements of the movie, like whenever the 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 drill sergeant is being especially racist, it cuts to like black Marines and Chinese Marines to kind of show the 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 links between them. They're very effective movies <laughs> in a lot of ways, and they're also just really good action movies. Ip Man Two, you can probably miss. It's not not as entertaining as the other ones, but uh, yeah, so. So I was wondering, what made you choose these as like a good example? Well, we're not done. Oh, we're not done? No, those were the appetizers. Okay. The main core has yet to come. I mean, the reason I chose those as propaganda is I think they are super effective at if you have no context, they're just very fun action. But if you have a little bit of context, you get like, and you, you, you think about what the movie is showing you, especially in like four, where it keeps cutting to the the signs of like all chinese are one brother or one family and that kind of thing and it's like the subtle messaging of the ccp's talking points matching with mass market media and advocating for this kind of turtle up mentality against the wider world what? and then when 2019 uh, when you think of ipman 4 coming out in 2019 right before the hong kong protests and ipman like thinking, yeah, it's not worth going to America. I'm going to go back to China. And it's the it's highlighting China instead of Hong Kong as an independent political entity. That's fair. So what must it be like to live in a country that uses movies as a form of propaganda? I can't imagine the kind yeah. of repression. <laughs> can't imagine. That must, no. that they must be suffering. Under. Yeah. And we're going to talk about another country that uses uh, these propaganda pieces really effectively. Is it the Soviets, the only other no, country that ever no. did propaganda? <laughs> no, we're, we're going to be talking about specifically the idea that every nation, in order to be built, needs a mythology. And anytime you have a national myth mythos, it's a way that you can unify people in a lot more of an effective way than you can with just like reason or reason discussions. And that the mythos allows you to paper over, pave over a lot of messy parts of your country's history sure. and demographics. And so I want to talk to you too about possibly one of the type, <laughs> the top five movies ever made. I'm going to be upset. RRR. <laughs> oh, okay. RRR. 
fucking rules. <laughs> it should be R R R R because it rules. <laughs> it's the fuck. It's the most fucking fun I have seen <laughs> in a movie since Fury Road. Bollywood is. So it's not Bollywood. Funny. It isn't actually. No, it's Hollywood. Ah. So the reason you you have Bollywood coming out of Mumbai because it used to be Bombay. And then Tollywood is in the south of the country, uh, out of like a uh, another language, Telugu, uh, that is predominantly spoken in that mm. part. So this is a Tollywood movie. Well, just like the pitch of we'll have movies that are action, comedy, drama, musicals is yep. I'm sold. Yeah, this is <laughs> action, comedy, musical, rom-com, mythos building, buddy. The movie buffet. It's, it's everything. Yeah. yeah. So this is a it's a movie that has like two of the biggest stars in Indian cinematic history. The director of the movie is like the biggest director working right now. The reason it's called RRR is because all three guys' names start with R. Nice. <laughs> like that's that's the level of big deal this is. And it's set in the 20s and it's kind of about Indian independence. And it talks about two guys who aren't named Mahatma Gandhi, which no one knows <laughs> yeah. fucking exists. No one knows he exists. One more goddamn fucking and... liberal tell me about how peaceful the Indian Revolution is. I'm going to throw myself <laughs> off a cliff. Please continue, Aaron. Okay. We're going to go into the, the real messy bits of this <laughs> movie uh, in detail, because I think that that's real, real... Like, that's where a lot of meat is, because... A lot of Americans, myself included, like, I'm not going to say I'm an expert by any means. And I've only read like five articles about this shit. But like, we don't know jack shit about the government. In it. And so in broad strokes, it's a, it's a, like a three hour long movie plus change. I'm not going to go down the full plot beats like I was doing with some of the Itman movies because for a long time. But in broad strokes, it follows two characters who were based on historical revolutionaries who did not live at the same time as each other. They were vaguely contemporary, I think. Vaguely, yeah, like, like One was dying years. while the other yeah. was like, yeah. Yeah, like four years there was overlap. So it puts, this this movie puts these two guys outside their historical time and, it, and it, it asks a daring question. What if these two guys were the strongest men in history and they were also the best friends in history? Okay, that's super fun. I'm yeah, on board you know, for it's this. It's a very fun movie. So it has the fault. It's just some of the highlights. Beam, a tribesman uh, who is trying to find a little girl who was abducted by the Brits from a village, fights a tiger with his bare hands in the jungle. Nice. Ram uh, is a man in the British police force for unknown reasons, fights a crowd of about 200 men to arrest <laughs> a single guy who threw a rock at, the, at a picture of the king. <laughs> a lot. It features a long friendship montage that shows just how strong these guys are and also how great of friends they become after rescuing a kid from certain death. It's wonderful. It shows dudes being dudes and doing squats with another dude on their shoulders. It features a one versus 100 person gun battle. It features a dance sequence where our protagonists shame a cocky British guy with fucking stellar dancing skills. And this is the only Oscar that RRR is up for, which is a shame, is the original song that is featured in this dance sequence. So I'm hearing this is like, what if Saving Private Ryan were a step-up film? 
Yes. Nice. <laughs> oh wow. Yes. Yeah, and and the Nazi and Saving Private Ryan were just this effete British man who said that hey, you you're not civilized because you don't know what a tango is. If there's one thing I've learned from American cinema, it's that the Nazis were British. That is true. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. No, that is true. <laughs> now there are action scenes that serve in a masterclass of how white bread white, uh, Marvel movies are. Yeah, like every action scene in this is just well choreographed. You can make out what's happening. There are long cuts, not like fifty cuts for one second. It's great. There's a rom com sequence. Involving the only one nice person in the movie. Uh, nice, uh, sorry, the only one nice white person in the movie. Uh, it has an absolute chef's kiss level garbage white person in foreign cinema acting. None of them, including the nice white lady, can deliver a line to save their lives. <laughs> it features the actress who played the Nazi lady in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Nice, like yeah. Her. Yeah, she is unrecognizable for plastic surgery reasons, but she's in oh. there. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, for acting. I'm like, cool, she's a good actor. I'm well, like, yeah, oh, that. And not, I mean, she. <laughs> yeah. uh, it features one guy using a motorcycle, like a truncheon. <laughs> He's beating yeah. someone to death with a motorcycle? Uh huh. fucking incredible. Uh huh. And it also features weaponized jungle animals. So, what I'm hearing is it's a Far Cry game. It's a Far Cry game. Yes, exactly. <laughs> nice. Uh, in many ways, it is the opposite of American blockbusters. It is sincere, uh, by what you mean. There's no reliance on like irony to deflate tension. Um, and yeah, the the example that pops in my mind is in Spider-Man: No Way Home, where like the the universes start getting crossed. And you have Alfred Molina, who is in basically a jail cell, and Spite and Peter Parker and his friends are like, oh, what's your name? And he goes, Dr. Otto Octavius. And they just start making jokes about his name instead of just rolling with it because it's a comic book movie. Why wouldn't you just roll with it? Why does everything have to be a Joss Whedon joke? Yeah. I anyway, like there's Joss none of that. Joss Whedon really ruined yeah. the comic book movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's no reliance on irony to deflate tension. Like, when things are tense, they're tense. People react. And the writing is good. The dialogue is good. Uh, things are visceral. You can, it, Much like Ipman, where you can really feel the impact of what's happening on screen, even when it's cartoonish. Even when someone is beating someone to death with a motorcycle, it feels good. Uh, it also weaves in backstory in an engaging way, doesn't slow down the, pot, the plot, like there are flashbacks, but they, they're they served well, they're just telegraphed well, it doesn't feel over long, it doesn't feel over short, it's well done. But the catch to all of this, in other what is otherwise a flawless movie that has no reason to not sweep the Oscars this year, is that it is extraordinarily propaganda for Hindu nationalism. Oh, <laughs> Hindu yeah. Modi strikes again. Yeah. So within <laughs> the text, within the movie, and this is not going into things that you need to know outside of content, outside of the movie, like characters wrap themselves in the Indian flag to protect themselves from multiple kinds of danger. At one point, a dude is swinging through fire, and the only reason he survives is because he wraps himself in the flag and comes out mm. unscathed. Is there any like zip lining down a line on the flag? And yeah. you know, <laughs> yep. 
Well, you know, at least uh, that's cooler than watching Tom Cruise silently and wistfully come in his pants while looking at an American flag. Well, we're going to talk about I'm going to force us to talk about Maverick. We're going to do that. Uh, there are no other, you know, in this movie, there are no Muslim characters, which is interesting for this movie. There are no time. Muslim people in India. In the, in well, the you know, exactly. Yeah, no, that's right. There are no Muslims in India. They had nothing to do with the foundation of the country. No, no. Uh, the only presence of Islam or Muslims in the movie is when a character uses Muslim garb as a disguise. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, nothing. Uh, traditional folk medicine is you know often a hallmark of nationalist parties the world over is used as a flawless cure-all for everything that can ever happen from snake bites to being on the verge of death if you use traditional folk medicine you're going to come out fine (laughs) uh tribal people are played as naive rubes who need more urban civilized people to show them how to live uh, the one nice white woman is only really brought into the fold and spotlighted once she's wearing a sari and doing Indian dances. Uh, the And the two heroes basically fill up their power meters and become avatars of Hindu gods. <laughs> <laughs> so outside the text, uh, you can find a lot of writing about what makes this movie extraordinarily uh, scary. There's one that I read from Vox that's that focuses a lot on the cast system. And I think that was an interesting approach. Um, no one really talks about the cast system as a thing that still exists, but I'm just going to throw us a lot of quotes from this article. So during the early 20th century, the cast system met another horrific monster, European fascism, specifically the Italian fascism of Mussolini and the Nazism of Hitler's Germany. Forged in the flames of vile hatred, this would give birth to a political ideology that now, now rules over the current modern India, Hindu uh, Hinduvta. I don't I don't know how to pronounce. It's basically the the movement of uh, yeah, the current uh, yeah yeah sorry of Modi's party. It is a belief system envisioned by extremist right wing Hindu political figures and enforced by militant groups. Its goal is to see India transformed from a secular nation into a Hindu Rashtra or Hindu state. It views the Muslim as the ultimate enemy, a foreign invader, and serious threat to their way of life. It conflates conspiracy with history, mythology with reality, our two characters basically becoming avatars of Hindu gods, and hopes to replace the constitution with something more regressive and oppressive. This is especially relevant given that India is currently ruled over by the political party in the form of the uh, BJP. Led by Modi, the modern face of this ideology, the group won big and came into into power in 2014, and it represents a new India. Uh, I think Shark and I, at least speaking for me, the the knowledge I have about Modi is mainly from the Bastards episode. Uh, Foreign Policy Mm -hmm. has a good long essay about how effective he has been at using media propaganda like RRR to kind of bolster the or mainline this conversation in India to set this as like the default tone. Yeah, I personally am obsessed with Mahindra Modi because I think that he is, if you want to look at like what a modern fascist coup will look like in an industrialized state, he is the goat. He like is so good at it. Do you want? Why don't you tell us about Modi? Well, so he came to power 
just by like being a bastard, like just being one of the worst fucking dudes to like ever do politics in a way that I think like Trump never had the balls for. Like, I think that's Mom. what, like, limit. I think that's why, like, DeSantis, I think, is, like, a good possible American analog. That, like, you find a place and you just make it the most fucking toxic cesspit in the history of the world that you possibly can. Mm. And use that to, like, claw yourself to political relevance through controversy. And then, like, harness the power of media and religious nationalism and all these other forces to propel yourself to, like, an unsteady but easy-to-cement rule. And, like, to do that, Nahindra Modi just, like, at every chance where he could make, like, a smart, subtle move, did. In a way that seems totally absent to American politicians. Mm. But yeah, no subtlety. No, we're waiting for someone to be as smart as Nahindra Modi and like be equally brutal and cunning. You only ever get one in America so far. Yeah, <laughs> he sucks. So all of this, this the the article continuing. All of this belongs uh, brings us to the current moment in India. Since the ascent of Modi and the BJP, the country has descended into a nightmarish climate of fear and oppression, wherein religious minorities are not, are under threat. Islamophobia is at an all-time high. Bigotry runs free. The rich go grow richer. The poor go poor, grow poorer. And Adivasi, which are an ind- indigenous group uh, from which both of these two main characters come in two different aspects. They were, uh, the one guy, Beam, was a kind of a tribes guy of a group called the Gons. And Ram was uh, kind of a more urban centric dude who was they were both revolutionaries they came from this wide ranging indigenous people but came from two different branches of it uh and this article points out that this indigenous group's lands are being lands and rights are being violated by this dominant political party and their version of ethno nationalism and history itself is under threat and is in the process of being rewritten from disinformation of the media to alterations to education in schools RRR manages to depict these people as compatriots instead of enemies and seems to think that's generous enough. The director, Rajamuli's work, uh, merely reproduces all the worst aspects of his influence as an upbringing without critically questionizing. It is an upper caste boy's privileged roller coaster ride, which comes easily to someone who hasn't had to experience the oppressive realities and horrors of the caste system. His work's deep casteism reinforces a Brahminical vision of the universe, and the Brahmin or kind of the highest ranking cast in Indian society. It is why Beam, a well-educated man who could read and write, is in the movie reduced to an illiterate simpleton, playing to historic Adivasi stereotypes. It is why you have a scene wherein he exclaims he is but a simple tribal person who did not and could not understand the greater vision of the upper upper caste savior Ram. It is also why the Gons are framed as a simple people compared to sheep with Beam having to ask Rom for the gift of education. Which is yes. super funny because the actual guy Beam was like a member of the, like possibly a member of the Communist Party of India and was like a fairly like educated dude. Um, yeah. But, eh. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to go into that level. <laughs> it's the same as like, well, you don't need to go into that aspect of uh, yeah. Yipman's life. Why would yeah. you need to talk about no. that? <laughs> no. 
Uh, RR manages to depict Adivasis as compa- uh Oh, yep, we already said that. Uh, Hold on. Perhaps crystallizing that best is the fact that NTR, the upper-class Hindu and from the same comma cast as Rajamuli, is cast as Beam. NTR is one of the actors. Rather than any actual Adivasi performer. This is a fact made all the more bitter given the history of Gond resistance to the land-owning Kamakapu dominance and Kamaram Beam's own anti-landlord policy. Going into your... Communism? Yep. Yeah. And finally... We have to talk about the end credits. So at the end of the movie, uh, basically, it, it doesn't break the fourth wall as so much as like aim a laser and disintegrate it. <laughs> so the end credits are a big dance sequence with the actors as the actors, including the the woman playing the nice white woman as herself, but still wearing an Indian sari. And then the director in the movie, <laughs> in this dance sequence as well. So the end, end credits, which valorize historic heroes of the nation, put a fine final point on this troubling upper caste Hindu lens. Nowhere in this lineup of luminaries will you find icons of a secular India such as Mahatma Gandhi or Jawaharlal Nehru, the founders of the nation, whom the ideologies agents are temporarily fond of, are terribly fond of. And what of Muslim kings like Hyder Ali or Tipu Sultan, who also stood against the British and were key and were parts of key battles against them? And the presence of Muslim fe- uh, freedom fighters like Saifuddin Kichlu? Not a chance. Do not even expect to see progressive and radical Dalit. And Dalit are, I think that's like the lowest caste. Yeah. Uh, Dalit revolutionaries like B.R. Ambedkar, uh, who stood firmly for the anni- annihilation of the caste system. You will, however, find the Hindu king, uh, I'm not going to pronounce that name, I'm not going to do it well, in it, who never even fought the British, but has been co-opted to be a favorite us ideology. The credits certainly feel like they're peddling a curated version of history and the freedom fight uh, right in line with it. So I wanted to spend a lot of time on RRR specifically, because it 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 is the epitome of propaganda, but fun. Like, it is a super fun movie. I am going to go see it again on Wednesday. It is a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. But it is both, like, extraordinarily painfully obvious that it is nationalistic propaganda. Characters wrapping themselves in the American flag to protect themselves from danger. Like, if you know a little bit about Hindu uh, mythological aesthetics it is clear that the characters become like avatars of gods in the last sequence. Like they drop their guns. One dude wields a spear. The other dude wields like a bow and arrow that he just finds in the jungle next to a shrine to, I think, uh, Vishnu and straps like grenades to it. (laughs) So he's firing (laughs) arrows with grenades as the avatar of Vishnu blowing up English people. Fucking awesome. It is very awesome but it is also like real icky and then like you you look into like the outside the text things about what's happening in india and it just gets even more icky but it's also real fun i don't know (laughs) what do (laughs) i mean that's all the i mean i don't know i mean like I mean, I guess it's like, I mean, at least they're making it. F- okay. I'm not like, like, <laughs> at least it's fun. Says no, there's no, at least, but like <laughs> all of the American like movies that are like 
Do we want to talk about heavy Top propaganda Gun? Now? They're not. Do we want to talk about Top Gun? Absolutely. I think at least it's fun is like a valid point in this. Yeah. Because like they're saving Private Ryan is 15 minutes of a good movie. Uh, all of the top guns are and it's okay. all the, the D-Day invasion scene and that's it. Like the yeah, D-Day that's the whole that's the only good part of that whole fucking film. <laughs> like any American Patriot movie is just like the worst. It's just that they're all bad movies. And it's like you're targeting like one person. Like there is a type of person that will go see those movies. But like with RRR, there's so many, so many flavors in there. Like anyone could like it, you know, for I, the I romance or the action like or the, whatever. The two friends. So Beam, the the tribe guy, he falls for the English lady and he goes to Rom and he's like, I don't know what to do. I like this woman, but I cannot, we can't communicate. And Rom's like, I got you, man. So they get on their motorcycle ahead of her car and he drops nails in front of her car. And then they speed off and go go to this like park bench. And Beam's like, I don't know, what are we doing? And Rom's like, she's going to stop right there in 30 seconds. And he goes, how do you know that? He goes, oh, I dropped nails in front of her car. <laughs> and that's the meet cute moment. Wow. That sparks okay, that's not Rom. great. It's not great, <laughs> but it's also very entertaining. <laughs> like a bizarro world perspective. It's unexpected, I'll give it that. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not gonna see that in cute. a Hugh Grant movie. No, of course not. <laughs> Hugh Grant is not gonna drop nails in front of a woman. There are no coffee shops in sight for a meat cute to take place. <laughs> so we're gonna drop nails. That's <laughs> yeah. But I it... think like the problem with like fucking western propaganda movies is that they're just all like worse triumph of the will then they're like yeah. so constrained to reality that like like you could watch rrr and get something else out of it other than like weird jingoistic propaganda yeah you cannot watch top gun maverick if you're not just rock hard every time you see a picture <laughs> of george washington <laughs> it's like you have yeah. to be that person and i watch top gun maverick I, for this this episode, I was going to talk about Top Gun Maverick in with the same level, but it's not fun. No, like it's I don't, it, and it dominated the box office. It has five Oscar nominations, That's fucking nuts, including Best Picture, which I don't get. It's not fun. I will actionable threat the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences. <laughs> <laughs> but have you seen it, Rachel? No. Have you seen the first one? No, okay, I, well, I have no desire to see those movies. I'm glad. You, the, fir you are... the first one is a homoerotic masterpiece that has an incredible yeah. soundtrack. <laughs> um, well, this one has, Maverick has the same soundtrack. I don't like that at I, all. I, I have never watched a movie. like outside Wait, really? Of, out, Actually yeah, out, the same? Well, it's very close to the same. Like outside Jesus. of the new Star Wars movies, the, the new trilogy, I have not seen another movie that has like every eight minutes stopped. <laughs> And said, like, turned to the audience said, do you remember this part in the first one? <laughs> it's like, it, literally, there are yeah. so many points in this movie where Maverick, Tom Cruise, like, stops in front of fa framed photos that are just scenes from the first movie. <laughs> and he looks wistfully at them. Like, Miles oh Todd, <laughs> who I think is the most punchable human being on the face <laughs> of the planet, plays Goose's kid. And he is the worst. I fucking, I hate every <laughs> character in this movie, but I hate his character the most. Like from moment one, 
He is weirdly shiny. It's like he put <laughs> ghee on himself and is shining. It's so fucking weird. But it's not fun. No. Like, none of the characters are good. Like, RRR, the characters are good. Like, you find yourself rooting for the characters. Like, there is a recurring song in the movie that's just like, the basic crux of the movie is like, what's going to happen when one of them betrays the other? What What is going to happen? And you find yourself, what is going to happen? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you don't do that with Maverick. You hate these characters. Yeah. Unless you just fucking want to be a Navy fighter pilot. Yeah. And that's, that's like the whole demographic, which is apparently every single fucking person in America. <laughs> apparently. It's astounding. Yeah. Yeah, it's bonkers. I, and, I mean, so this is, I, I I stopped myself from messaging you about this earlier, Shark, because <laughs> I wanted to save this realization for you in uh, so that you could react on microphone. You know what else is nominated for Best Picture this year? What? Fucking Avatar 2. Oh my god. The way of water. <laughs> okay. We need to look into the Academy. What I don't understand. But it's like it's balanced people. by like everything everywhere all at once, which was a really good movie and emotionally touching and also like really, really creative. And also like the Banshees of Inisherin, which is also really good, but a very quiet movie. All Quiet on the Western Front came out yeah. this year. If you need a movie about war, like that was fucking incredible. No, I didn't watch it because it it feels like that's already been adapted through the, the new one is good yeah i didn't even yeah. i didn't even realize it was another version that came out to be honest <laughs> i was like oh it's trending again cool <laughs> it's legitimately good it is yeah. watchable but yeah it just fucking give uh, it to baz lerman's elvis for all no don't care. no baz yeah. lerman should be stopped <laughs> he's an exhausting man <laughs> God, his his little limited series about uh, the birth of hip hop in Harlem in the eighties was so fucking insulting. Yeah, but yeah, I just Top Gun is boring as shit, and it's all American propaganda is. And like this, my wife and I constantly talk to other humans, much to our screaming (laughs) chagrin, and we. Always come away from those conversations like Americans think like North Koreans are victims of propaganda. Like, holy fuck, what are we doing here? Have have you seen Transformers? Yeah. (laughs) Everything I've ever consumed that's American media as an American is just propaganda. The new Batman movie that came out? Absolutely. Yeah. Like at the Rachel, I'm assuming you haven't seen it. No. no right okay <laughs> no. at the end of it like the riddler's plan to flood gotham mostly goes off and at the end like batman is rescuing people from a hurricane katrina like situation and it's just they they position like national guard and army soldiers with basically halos behind them as they're dramatically pulling people out of the water and yeah, like yeah. rays of sunshine breaking through the clouds and shit. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. And they pick <laughs> fucking actors who, like, you can see their, like, pecs and biceps yeah. through the fucking black yeah. vest somehow. Well, of course, because if you are a Marine or if you join the Army, you too can look like that. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> every fucking member of the National Guard I've ever met, like, does it on the weekends. 
Yeah. <laughs> Did it for some uh, scholarship money. You know, yeah. like fucking CPA five days a week, and they're just like <laughs> cum gutters in the fucking movie. Like, what the fuck is going? Yeah. It's all just propaganda. But yeah, it's like there's no there's no life. No. in in our propaganda and it's like well but why yeah the art <laughs> is missing uh i think what i'm lobbying for here is every american movie about our past should be abraham lincoln vampire hunter <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's that's our pitch yeah i guess but it has to be like abraham lincoln is hanging out with thomas jefferson <laughs> and they they are bitten by a radioactive um bald eagle <laughs> to become the most American man. Yeah, and their their cue is Benjamin Franklin. Yes. Yeah. And he's like inventing steampunk gear to help them fight the Okay, I, I Mega I, British. I take back whatever we've said. There is a good piece of American propaganda. Yeah. Aaron just described it. It's the Will Smith movie Wild Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> you just described it verbatim, and that's a good movie. We nailed it with that one. <laughs> oh, fucking wild, wild west! But yeah, it's like I, I, I don't know. I think the the one that always stands out to me, and I thought about putting it in here, but it's like only really a couple of scenes in the movie is Independence Day, despite the name Independence Day. With like the end rousing speech about we're gonna beat the aliens because today is our Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got to thinking, well, that's just really what Randy Quaid thinks is reality. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah. He's, he's he's not acting. Yeah, <laughs> he's <laughs> screaming into a microphone, recording no script. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh I don't know. What do you what do you two think? Do you have any other examples of propaganda but fun? I mean, fucking it's not fun, but like any of the Soviet films where like mm. there were some great fucking movies yep. that came out under the Soviets that are all pretty watchable. Yeah, I can't imagine the Soviet yeah. film being fun. No. <laughs> it, none of them yeah. are. Yeah. I don't know. Stalker is fun, right? Just with a, a a ten minute long meditation about God and humanity and death. Yeah, you gotta like Soviet <laughs> novels. <Yeah. laughs> like Soviet films, yeah. but there's some great ones. Like there's Battleship Potemkin, which is like a yeah. truly it's a really fun thing to watch. Um, yeah, but they're all sad, but definitely <laughs> propaganda. Um, I feel like there's just a shitload of british movies that fall into this category but they're all like a lot of them are about world war ii lawrence of arabia propaganda yeah 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 that's a good one yeah just the worst form of propaganda humanly possible but (laughs) white savior who protects the the innocent naive arabian nomads (laughs) who teaches the arabs how to live in the desert yeah going on and you know this is why i love dune so much is because it takes that and it like ostensibly shows you a white savior complex but he's destroying the society that he's presented (laughs) as saving and he's willfully doing it and the only reason you know it is because you have his monologues that you're reading yeah which i think the, the the movie did not really do a good job of portraying but maybe we'll get that in the second part 
just hoping we get more bald Dave Bautista, bald pale Dave Bautista breaking <laughs> people's necks on screen. Wait, was Dave Bautista in Dune? Yeah, he was Robin. Oh shit, he was, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. Damn. He's in uh, Do you know Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say he's in he's in the new in Night Shyamalan movie. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um I was going to ask when is the second Dune uh is there an expected release date or something? I think at the end of this year. Oh, nice. Okay. And I think this gets back to the central thesis of our podcast in a way, which is like the right wing can't make good art. Um, And (laughs) although RRR gives you a good example of the right wing making good art, that's fair, I guess. But (laughs) when, like, it's not talked about enough. Hitler didn't love like Triumph of the Will or a lot of yeah. the German cinema. That dude loved Hollywood movies, yeah. as all dictators love Hollywood movies, because Hollywood movies are like the hacky propaganda that dictators who wanted to be artists would make about yeah. themselves. Well, it, you know, the director, uh, Fritz Lang, was a famous director from Weimar, Germany. He did like Metropolis. Uh, M, a bunch of other movies, and emigrated from Nazi Germany to America because he was like an anti-fascist, and I think he was Jewish, or at least sympathetic to Jewish people. But before he emigrated, um, Goebbels offered him a job as the leader of kind of like the Reich's art movement, because Fritz Lang loved Metropolis. (laughs) And yeah, they, they just kept turning to people who hate them for their art because they can't make their own. Yeah. Like if you can find a single piece of Third Reich, you know, movies or cinema or art or music, it's going to be garbage. Yeah. And like maybe if you fucking start <laughs> making a movie where, I don't know, Richard Spencer turns into the avatar of Thor to beat the shit out of a collection of the woke mob of Antifa. <laughs> Maybe I'll fucking watch it. I don't know. <laughs> At this point, I've, yeah, I just need to movie, escape for a few hours. If every movie's fucking Dirty Harry, like, we get it. <laughs> this is why in my coming communist revolution, there will be one government bureau and it's the Government Bureau of Originality, where if you yeah. want to write another rom-com or another police procedural or another <laughs> book about a small town guy moving to a big city or a big city guy moving to a small town, you have to petition this agency and be like, <laughs> is this original enough? And there's only one stamp. There's one man with one stamp at one desk, and he just goes, no. That's the whole government in my revolution. Because <laughs> we've seen that. It's propaganda. So many times. We've told all those stories. There is no, there, you cannot combine words in a new way to tell that form of propaganda. <laughs> I would like it to be over. Rachel, how about you? Do you have anything that's propaganda but fun? I mean, no. I've been thinking about, like, I've been watching some TV shows recently. Um about like there's one about uh this guy that he's a fresh like lawyer um out of school and he gets hired by the cia and i just it's it's fun it's like okay it's not a fresh take it's 
just another, you know, CIA, um, like trying to make it look cool. Like, uh, you know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, mm, okay, this is not, it's fun, but it's nothing new. And I'm just, yeah. I'm so over like watching things and immediately becoming aware that this is just police propaganda or government propaganda. You know what I mean? Welcome to the curse. (laughs) But you know, (laughs) like why can't we approach, yeah. Approach things like from a backwards perspective. So like make a whole fun, super fun original movie and then sprinkle in the propaganda, you know, like the right could do that if they're having, if they're having trouble, (laughs) that would be fun. That's fair. We are now workshopping yeah. screenplays <laughs> from the right wing. <laughs> like, dear God, make something new. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know. It, I think part of the problem with why uh, blockbusters in the in the U.S. are so goddamn dull is, in my opinion, that like studio producers have the ability to give notes. Yeah, screenplays. Like, Absolutely. Do Do you remember the that they remade the magnificent seven yes several years ago you remember any details about that movie not a single one. not a single goddamn detail because it was dog shit yeah. <laughs> like the original is great like steve mcqueen and yul brenner are just weird looking dudes but they're very charming yeah and like the movie itself is a remake of the seven samurai so it's got the template of a really good movie just right there <laughs> But it puts a bit of a bit more of like an American spin on it, and it shortens the runtime by quite a bit. <laughs> you don't get that anymore. Now everything has got to have American soldiers in it or American cops, and it's got to look like it's been uh, or, cinema- or Captain America fucking curling a Black Hawk helicopter down <laughs> to a building as he's backlit with a yeah. big old fuck off flag on his chest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that does remind me. What's that show? Um, oh, it's on Amazon Prime. The one with the superheroes, but they're bad. The boys. No, the boys. The boys. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched that one. I this actually I hear it's not good. propaganda. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Like actually yeah. tears into some of that shit, which is yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Like the creator of that series. I, I don't like his style, but yeah, he's not a guy who's going to give you propaganda. No. No. Yeah, dude. And Americans so susceptible to pro. I think American propaganda can be so bad because Americans are so susceptible to it. Just eating that shit up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They will drive to North Dakota to the most <laughs> racist tort South Dakota, one of the Dakotas. Don't ever go there. <laughs> uh, to drive to a racist tourist trap with faces of presidents on it. Yeah. Like you are the most propagandized people on earth. Yeah. Stop watching movies about World War II. Inglorious Bastards was a good one. That was a good one. That's <laughs> yeah. true. <laughs> that was a good. One. That's true. I like Dunkirk. Dunkirk was also good. Uh, no. I I think you just don't like Christopher Nolan. Just like every Christopher Nolan movie is the most Christopher Nolan movie. I know it's great. I love it. <laughs> Give me more. I cannot wait down, for Chris? Oppenheimer. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> it's going to be sepia tone. <laughs> yeah, I, I will go to watch it in theaters. Love it. And try to rewatch it at home and not be able to understand a goddamn word. No. But I'm going to love it still. The best move, the best review I saw of Christopher Nolan's work ever was great movies to talk about with your father-in-law. 
<laughs> exactly what they are. They <laughs> cannot, they uh, cannot do this with you, Chris. <laughs> Man, cannot I'm, wait to rewatch Interstellar. <laughs> oh my god! So I'm still upset at that movie. I love that movie. It's great. <laughs> I also feel like anything Matthew McConaughey's in is propaganda. I don't know why he just mm, feels propagandistic because yeah. he, he, he feels yeah. like every all of his delivery sounds like a caricature of yeah. like Western, what you would yeah Western masculinity yeah. Well, which is, I think that's why he's so effective in True Detective. Yeah, that is true. That's his one non-propaganda thing. Yeah, just bleak nihilism with every line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fucking Americans. We love propaganda and it's all so shitty. Mm-hmm. I am upset. Alas, we can't have RRR. We can't. Can't even have Ipmon. No. Because yeah. we have to watch the same horrible cop film. And we have to watch the same superhero movie. Yeah. With Blue Portal. 500 different times. Yeah. yeah. Like, do you realize Clint Eastwood made a movie? <laughs> Where he plays a drug smuggler who's 80 years old. And Which one was that? The Mule, I think it's called. Oh, I, yeah. I, I don't think I've watched anything he directed since. He is. What was the one where he, he was like he had Korean neighbors? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was set in Detroit, right? Yeah. Grand. Grand. Grand Torino. That's it. Yeah. Like I got one movie. I got one. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) He is 80 years old, like in his mid 80s. And in this movie, he is a drug smuggler who has a threesome and people bought a ticket. (laughs) Like, what the fuck are we talking about? Why would you know? Of those people that bought tickets. You already do. (laughs) Yeah, you probably are. 40 oh, to 60 well, I was just thinking like Oh, uh, I was thinking of like older white ladies who want to see Clint Eastwood like get it on. In his 80s? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> hey, you there are like people who are attracted to Trump, man. That's like his his, his, his cultists. That. <laughs> his cultists. Yeah, there's a whole thing. I see posts on Reddit that should not be seen. <laughs> <laughs> Just like if you went to that movie, you are as propagandized to as anyone in the DPRK. Yeah. No, it's it, I don't. It's so strange because Eastwood used to have like a a if not like a not I don't think he was ever counterculture, but he had an he had a bent in his the movies that he used to direct that were very critical of structures of like government and nation. Yeah. So like Unforgiven was a movie that he directed and it's all about like how a, a horrible guy who is the sheriff of a town and is just bending it to his will. No one gets punished for the things that they should. And yeah, that, that strain of his just disappeared after a while. And I don't know why. Mm. Because libertarianism stopped being like a functional thing. Yeah, maybe. As much as it ever was. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Yeah, well. You've you triggered me. This is a rant I make <laughs> at least once a week. <laughs> Excellent. Well, do we have final thoughts? We've been, we've been at this for almost two hours now. 
No, I'm going to go see. I'm going to go watch RRR. I'm excited. You really should. If you want to go on Wednesday, uh, let me know. There might still be tickets. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's uh, it's a very fun movie. It's got yeah. a, it, the song that, it, yeah, for, I don't think it was submitted for best picture, but it's up for best original song. And it's not like, you know, Indian cinema has the uh, uh, reputation of being these overlong extended musicals, but there's only like one musical mm-hmm. scene in this movie. Oh, perfect. And it's fucking fantastic. You know and, what? I think this is the, f- sorry to cut you off, but this yeah. is the first episode where there's been no face rubbing. That's why it's a palate cleanser. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's and, true. Yeah, I'm just looking in my, my video window and I can see Barry staring at the back of my head. So that means yeah. it's time for his food. He's got the weird Japanese horror movie dolls eyes <laughs> thing going on here. Black eyed kid size, yeah. yeah. You know, he was he was hanging out at a friend of mine's place, or we were at a friend of mine's place, and she's got this cat. Without you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, Barely he, knocking some back with one of my friends. <laughs> and she's got this cat, and Barry was super excited. He was literally shaking with excitement. And like any time the cat walked out of his field of vision, he started whining. <laughs> he just wanted to look at it. Yeah, he just wanted to hang out with the cat. And the cat was not a fan because he was coming on too strong. Mm-hmm. Well, do we have final thoughts? Yeah, you know, if Avatar The Way of Water or Top Gun Maverick um, win Best Picture, look for my manifesto. You'll find it on the news. <laughs> In um, your mailbox. Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll read it on CNN. Um, <laughs> if you go to Mount Rushmore for any reason other than to actionable threat it, you're an idiot. I Well, before Those we go, I want to list the, uh, the awards Top Gun is going up for. Okay. It is up for film editing, which I guess is fair. It is, is it also... though? It's like, hey, we'll smash cut this scene yeah, with a fucking I... jet engine. I could do that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's up for best picture, which is not... Not, not, not a, No. It's up for sound. Whatever. Sure. Yeah. Sound cool, I, it's a bat, the Batman is also up for sound, which I don't get. Like, that one, I don't know why. Um, visual effects... Also in that category, you have Avatar The Way of Water, and that one's going to win. Yeah, I could also win the visual effects if the Navy gave me $400 million. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it's also up against Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Did not uh, see. Yeah, I didn't see that one. The Batman, which everything was just mud and grit. I don't know why <laughs> that means visual effects. Because everybody, Christopher Nolan did this to us, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> and writing. Adapted screenplay, which is the dumbest thing in the world. Anything, it's got three listed screenwriters. You should not, that should be disallowed. (laughs) Screenplay, screenwriting category is for like a weirdo and maybe one other person. (laughs) Also up for that, up in that category is Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Which should win. Yeah, that should win. That was really good. Uh, Yeah, all right, so that's it. Yeah, Knives Out was good. Watch Knives Knives, Out. Knives Out was really good. That is, that was not propaganda. Yeah, it was good shit. It also had woke King Dave Batista, (laughs) (laughs) who is quickly becoming America's darling somehow. 
I because he, he, he's the he anti. Ke- he's yeah. the uh, the anti the Rock. Yeah, yeah. In, in the sense that he has a personality, exactly. Yeah, and he's <laughs> he's willing to play a villain and do things that like. But he's show- not willing to take a singing role. No, Good. I, I mean, I can't imagine that. That seems no. like that would be a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are. Why would it make him America's Darling even more? I don't know. Who's to maybe. Say? Maybe he's got the voice of an angel. Dave Bautista going to play George Washington in the coming American version of RRR. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fuck yes. Rachel, you have final thoughts? No, I think you guys pretty much summed it up. Um, Yeah, America sucks. Well, not America sucks. Ah! It does suck. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave it at that, yeah. (laughs) Fuck you and your strip malls. Don't go to mouth.